Welcome to the Hope Chapel Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this teaching from God's Word. We currently are meeting again for in-person services and would love to have you join us if you feel comfortable. Our in-person service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. You can also tune into our live stream on Sundays at 9 and 11 by going to hopechapel.org forward slash live. How many know that fasting, like Bible study, prayer, these kinds of things, fasting is a spiritual discipline? It's probably not our favorite spiritual discipline. Is that a fair thing to say? Yes, I know. When I think about fasting, I go, oh, gosh. All right. And so, as I suggested earlier, we have, we have a history of, as a congregation, of joining together in fasting and prayer for the 21 days, beginning today in anticipation of Easter Sunday. And by the way, Easter Sunday, we're going to break the fast with donut holes. <laughs> My favorite food, that's right. <laughs> so we're looking forward to that. So given that, I want to talk to you and give you just again some, just a kind of an overview of fasting. If you look at Zechariah chapter 7, actually verses 4 and 5, and we'll refer to these again in a few moments. Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me, ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months, for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? I was referring to the 70 years of captivity in Babylon that the Jews were experiencing. They're going to soon be released from that captivity and restored to the land of Israel. But during that time, apparently they did fast. They did seek the Lord. But God calls to them and he says, did you really do it for me? There's lots of different reasons we could fast. Lots of benefits we gain from fasting, i.e. lose weight, right? People are going, oh, man, I'm going to lose a few pounds. Fasting is much more than that. Fasting, very, very simply, means simply to abstain for a limited period of time from food, any kind of food, whether solid or liquid. We're not going to fast from water. You can drink water, you can drink juice, and so forth. This can include denying yourself other comforts, other pleasures, maybe the fasting from the internet. Uh, if I, I, someone asked me last night after the service, they said, Pastor, what, what should I fast from? I said, What's, what would be the hardest thing for you to give up for 21 days? And they said, a number of things. I said, well, ask the Lord to, to single one out and to speak to you. It's, it's a good thing to ask God. It's a good thing to wait on him and let him bring to your mind, to your understanding, that which he wants you to embrace or engage. Would you agree with me? So the, the, point, the point is, fasting typically, historically, has been primarily food. Also, you can include things like the internet, if you will, television, um, any number of things, but I'll leave that up to you to ask God about. It's a voluntary thing, by the way. It's not mandatory. It's a voluntary 
denial, more particularly of an otherwise normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. That's the key. Why are we doing this? Because I want to draw close to the Lord. I, I want to fast unto him. And we'll talk about what that means in a few moments. Intense spiritual activity. Life is full of distractions, isn't it? Life is full of things. And very often I'll ask people, I say, tell me about your prayer life. Well, it's not what it ought to be. What does that mean? Typically it's a euphemism for I don't have a prayer life, really. Or it's hit and miss. Here's a season where we can fast and we can spend more time in prayer. And not just with our list asking him for stuff, but listening, learning to listen with the Bible open. Just ample time. And we have a, a, just a reading list through the New Testament. 21 days you can read through the New Testament if you look at that card that we've enclosed for you. So fasting really is an act of self-discipline for spiritual purposes. It's not a spiritual hunger strike. It's not a manipulative device. It's not a quid pro quo with God saying, God, I'll do this if you'll do that. Have you ever caught yourself trading with God? Saying you'll do something if he'll do something? And certainly, albeit people can look at it and benefit by it, it's not a form of dieting. Okay? It's a time of intense spiritual activity. Why should I fast? What am I going to get out of it? We live in a society and a culture where we're trained to be very pragmatic. We, we want to know, how am I going to benefit by this? The best fast is the one that has no ulterior motive. Again, from our passage in Zechariah chapter 7, our testimony should be, God, I'm going to fast unto you. I'm going to learn to draw close to you. I'm going to learn to be in relationship with you, maybe in a way I never have been. Or if I have been, I want to enhance it. In Joel chapter 2, verse 12, the prophet Joel says, even now declares the Lord, return to me. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Have you found it in your life that it's possible to kind of drift from the Lord? Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, you just get, you know, there's stuff going on and you just kind of drift. He says, return to me. And fasting is one of the means whereby we can, in evidence, a return to him. Are you with me so far? In the book of Acts, in chapter 13, you have the, uh, the elders in Jerusalem, and Luke records, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. They're seeking God. They want direction. They want wisdom. They're worshiping him, and they're fasting. Those two dynamics go together. You'll see it in other places also. So we might with just easily say, Lord, I, I'm going to worship you and I'm going to fast. I'm going to set, set time aside, undistracted, 
by whatever it is, even, even eating a meal. You can, you can give up one meal a day or maybe cut your meal down in half and use that time to focus on him. I'm forever telling parents, I said, look, your, your, your dinner table, you should as a family be eating together, your dinner table should be like an altar. When the meal is done, you push the dishes aside and you sit there, dad, you open the Bible. You read to your children, you read to your wife. You want your kids to grow up in an environment where, where they said, dad always read the Bible to us. It's a time of worship. It's a time of instruction. God wants us to understand that we are motivated out of a desire and love for him. We can be motivated by lots of things, can't we? And we are motivated by lots of things. Love is probably one of the weakest motivators. Fear is the greatest motivator. (laughs) But am I motivated out of a love for him? out of a desire for him, for a closer relationship with him. And when you enter into that environment on an on a ongoing basis, you see, you see your life being changed miraculously. I know you know that. In the prophet Joel, chapter 1, verse 14, God says to Joel, declare a holy fast. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. That's what we're doing. We're calling a holy fast. We're calling all the elders. We're calling all the people to assemble and cry out to the Lord. Beginning tonight. Beginning today. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Fasting is a means, if you will, it's a physical expression of a, a humbling of ourselves under his mighty hand. He goes on in that verse, says, and he will lift you up in due time. He will strengthen you, confirm you, perfect you, and establish you. But the first, first necessary thing is that we be willing to humble ourselves, bow before him, acknowledge who he is and who we are and our need for his grace, his power, his strength, and his wisdom. In the Old Testament, the idea of afflicting oneself, that's repeated again and again and again. It was a demonstration of a humble soul. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29 that passage speaks of fasting as a denying of oneself or a, an afflicting of oneself. Do we read any place else in the Bible where we're, we're called to deny ourselves? Does anybody remember a passage? Yeah, Jesus, right? If you're going to be my disciple, you must what? Deny yourself. I was talking to a brother not too long ago, and he t- was talking to me about fasting. He says, He's implemented fasting in his life as a regular discipline. And it has been remarkable in how it has affected his spirituality. One day, one day a week, he fasts. In Isaiah chapter 58, verse 3, and we'll look at this passage a little bit in a few moments. 
equates fasting with the humbling of ourselves. David says in Psalm 35, I humbled myself with fasting. Or more literally, I afflicted myself. Now fasting was practiced in Israel not only as an expression of a humble soul, but also as a, of a dependent soul. Are we dependent on God? Oh yeah, for our very next breath, aren't we? Let me give you some examples of dependence. If you're preparing to have a conversation with God, fasting is a marvelous way to prepare yourself for that. You're orienting yourself. You're disciplining yourself from distractions. We see this in Exodus chapter 34, the classic conversation with God. This is Moses up on the mountain. And the book of Exodus tells us that he was up there 40 days and 40 nights. He ate no food, drank no water. That's an example of an absolute supernatural fast. I know of two people uh, from our church who fasted for 40 days. Not an absolute total fast, and I don't recommend it unless you are really healthy to begin with. 40 days is a long time to go without food. And so God gives Moses his word, doesn't he, up on the mountain. He's preparing for this conversation with God. He's fasting the whole time. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, Daniel is anticipating and praying for God to give him wisdom and direction. Daniel knows that the 70 years of captivity are coming to an end, and yet he still is asking God for wisdom. Daniel says, so I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Is that a picture of humbling yourself? Daniel was one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, wasn't he? Another expression of dependence on the Lord is when you might be oppressed in your life by some great care. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, you recall David had a child by Bathsheba. And God afflicted that child, it was going to take that child's life as a discipline in David's life. And the account goes on to say that David prayed and fasted for that child for seven days. What ultimately happened to the child? The child died. But David humbled himself, prayed, fasted for that whole time. And then when the child died, what did he do? He got up and washed his face, ate. His servants asked him, why are you doing this? He says, I can't do anything more. I prayed and I fasted. God took the child. The child won't be here, but I'll go to see him. Again, fasting, a part of that dynamic. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel writes this. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat, wine touched my lips. 
example of what we could call a partial fast. He, he didn't eat any choice foods, things that were his favorites. Probably just ate vegetables. Our favorites, right? Vegetables. <laughs> Another example of dependence on the Lord is when there's danger of war or danger of destruction. Back in the book of Judges in chapter 20, there is warfare. The Israelites are going to war against the Benjamites, their brothers. I just read this a couple of days ago. And it's a, it's a crazy passage. But the Israelites go before the Lord several times, and it's, they're beat up every time. The Benjamites beat them up. And then the last time, the Israelites go before the Lord with prayer and fasting, and they're wailing before the Lord. And they said, and God says, okay, I'm going to give them into your hands. But fasting was part of that. How many remember Esther? Remember Esther? Yes. Esther chapter 4. Esther calls for a fast. Well, she's in danger here. She's, she's anticipating going before the king, and this was against the law, and she could, he could have her summarily killed. She says, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, that's the capital of the Persian Empire, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Would you say she's putting her, hands, her life in the hands of God? But she's anticipating doing that, what? With prayer and fasting. Ezra chapter 8 calls a fast to bring success to the return of the exiles from Babylon back to the land of Israel. In Ezra chapter 8, there by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So they bragged on God, and they said, God's going to protect us. And then they get on their face before the Lord. They say, God, help us. I bragged on you to the king. Now, in the course of time, the deeper meanings and effects of fasting is an expression of humility and dependence, devotion to God. These things were lost. Fasting had degenerated simply to an empty ritual a pious ritual. The prophets spoke out against the loss of the real meaning of fasting, especially Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 58 is probably the classic passage 
on fasting, look with me at the first seven verses of Isaiah 58. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of his God. They ask me for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not taken notice? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this not the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? So, God characterizes to the Israelites their kind of fast, and then he rehearses his kind of fast to them. Did you see that? So God doesn't invalidate fasting. No. He invalidates their way of going about it. In verse 3, notice again, please, Israel's question. They ask him, why have we fasted? and you've not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not taken notice? And God's answer simply is, it's because when you fast, it doesn't affect anything in your life. There's no change. It's an empty ritual. It doesn't change the way you behave yourself with other people or even how you pursue the day. You're not involved in prayer. All you're doing is not eating. Not only that, but you go about life in its usual course, including strife between you and your brothers. It's not a time of repentance. It's not a time of change of attitude toward others and their needs. Your fast, he says to them, in effect, doesn't amount to anything. That's why nothing happens. It doesn't amount to anything. If you want to get through to me, don't go about it like you have been. Verses 6 and 7, he says, when you fast, that ought to lead to spiritual breakthroughs and true ministry. Wow, think about that. Who here would need a spiritual breakthrough in their life? Don't even have to raise your hand, but just, just think about that. Reflect, Lord, I, I need a spiritual breakthrough in my life. Fasting can do that if you understand that intent. We're not commending ourselves to God. 
but rather enabling, enabling ourselves to truly focus on him and submit ourselves to his service, not self-service. Have you noticed how much, so, how much of the time it's all about us? Me, 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 what I want, what I want. Not serving him. Fasting has an effect on your life when you fast as unto him. Jeremiah says much the same thing. In Jeremiah chapter 14, God says, although they fast, I'll not listen to their cry. Though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I'll not accept them. Instead, I will destroy them with sword, famine, and plague. Oh, great. Zechariah chapter 7. This is a terrifying passage. And the word of the Lord Almighty came to me, ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months of the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? When you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? Are these not the words the Lord proclaimed through the early prophets when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and prosperous? And then the Negev and the western foothills were settled and the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor in your hearts. Do not think evil of each other. But they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and stopped at their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by his spirit through the early prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very what? Angry. When I called, they did not listen. So when they called, I would not listen, says the Lord Almighty. I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations where they were strangers. The land was left so desolate behind them that no one could come or go. This is how they made the pleasant land desolate. Is, that, is there some judgment there, do you think? Yeah, yeah. They think they're doing what they should be doing, and they're not doing it at all. And God calls them out through the prophet Zechariah. And again, the prophets are not condemning fasting. They're condemning the insincerity with which fasting was being practiced. It had degenerated simply to religious, just a ritual. Do you suppose that God takes fasting seriously? What do you think? Yeah, should we have a vote? How many think God takes fasting seriously? How many think no? How many, how many unsure? <laughs> yeah, because he takes us seriously. He takes us at our word. We say we love him. We say we're seeking him out. He takes that seriously, doesn't he? In any relationship you're in, when you say to somebody, I value you, either by your words and or your actions, and that person takes you at your word, are you then obligated? Absolutely. How much more relationship with him? God, I are a Christian. You saved me. I love you. And I praise you. 
but I'm going to go about my life doing what I want. What was Jesus' attitude toward fasting? What do you think? Look with me at Matthew chapter 6. When you fast, notice it's not if you fast, it's when you fast. Jesus is supposing that fasting would be a normal part of the life of the Jews. Should fasting be a normal part of the life of a believer? Yeah. Yeah. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they're fasting. I'm fasting. I tell you the truth, they receive their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So your friend asks you to go to lunch. Oh, man, I'm fasting. Should I go or should I not go? I'm going to go. You go to lunch with your friend, and you choose not to eat. What's the matter? Well, I'm fasting. Ooh. Just say, no, I'm, I, I can't go today. <laughs> I mean, there's, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> fasting, like any act of devotion, is to be done simply for the glory and service of God, not other people's admiration. Wow, you are really spiritual. <laughs> Fasting is also a time for, as we've been talking about, personal humbling and repentance. Again, I'll call your attention to David's words in Psalm 35. I humbled myself with Fasting. And that really, fasting does have a humbling effect, doesn't it, when you think about it? I mean, you're just going, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast. I'm going to fast. Isaiah 58, as we looked at earlier, the Israelites asked the question, why have we fasted? Why have we humbled ourselves? They didn't actually humble themselves, but they said they humbled themselves. Does God judge the heart? Oh, Absolutely. Fasting is also a time for spiritual renewal and recommitment. Even as Christians, we should be renewing our commitment to him. We come to the Lord's table every service, every week, and it's a time of renewal. It's a time of reaffirming, reaffirming, recommitting ourselves. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 and 7. Fasting ought to lead to spiritual breakthroughs, is what the Lord says, and surrender to his service, not self-service. Again, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, reminds us fasting is not just external. It's actually reflective of an internal attitude, an internal intention. It can act as a prompt to abstinence in other areas. Maybe there's an area that you're given to that you're just kind of out of control. Fasting could lead to abstinence in that area. 
Fasting also is a discipline to our flesh. It may, in fact, ignite a greater desire for prayer. It's a testimony to our genuine repentance. Also, fasting is the time to learn and to understand God's will. You're setting aside time, maybe that you hadn't before, to learn, God, I want to know, I want to know how you think. I want to know your will. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, Daniel says, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Now look at verses 20 through 23 in Daniel chapter 9. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. So he's interceding on behalf of Israel and making my request to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill, Jerusalem. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. Insight and understanding in the midst of his fasting and prayer. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Are you and I highly esteemed in God's sight? What do you think? How many think we're highly esteemed in God's sight? (laughs) Of course we are. He gave his one and only son for us. We're esteemed as Jesus is esteemed in the eyes of the Father. If you can get your mind around that. We're highly esteemed by him. When you begin to pray, do you realize that God hears that prayer? And he sends an answer. And it's only when we're sensitive to him that we see the answer. It may, may or may not be the answer we're looking for, but we become much more attuned to how he wants to answer the prayer and we become much more submitted to his will. Does that make sense? Psalm 32, verse 8. Same idea. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I'll counsel you and watch over you. Thank you, Lord. Also, it's a means of expressing wholehearted devotion to him. Again, from Joel chapter 2. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Thank you, Lord. Your mercies are new every morning. Who knows? He may turn and have pity. Oh, man. Does it make sense to seek him with all of our heart? 
So a fast is a means to an end. What end? What end? What should be the end of our fasting? Come on now, you got it. You know it. Yeah, to bring us closer to who? To God. To know him better. To know and understand his purpose. Not to get God to do what we want. Fasting does not change God. Fasting should change who? Us. And fasting can also help us keep our balance in life. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes this, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. Wow. Ask yourself, am I body ruled or my spirit ruled? When I fast, my body does not tell me what or when to eat. It may try, but I tell my body when I'm going to eat, when we're going to eat. When I fast and my body says, feed me, feed me. Because it will, right? Have you noticed that? Feed me, feed me. Shut up. I don't care. I'm giving you the day off. Who's in control there? I am. That's right. And fasting helps to reveal what really controls us. If you've ever fasted for uh, for an extended period of time, i.e. like 21 days like we're doing here, and and you, you fast a little bit more severely than maybe you normally would, have you ever noticed what, what surfaces? What can service? What's the matter with you? Ooh, get a little tense. Well, I'm fasting. Really? <laughs> Things may surface in you while you're fasting that you don't necessarily realize that control you and they're just under the surface. And when you make yourself vulnerable, those things can easily surface and you have another opportunity to say, Lord, I repent of this. Strengthen me. Am I making sense to anybody? Now lastly, there's some things to remember. Number one, are my motives right? What are my motives? Is there a hidden desire in me to get what I want? Am I trying to manipulate God? Am I trying to impress other people by my spirituality? Remember, Jesus says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Secondly, what are my spiritual objectives? Should I have some spiritual objectives as I fast? What do you think? Absolutely. Draw close to God. Draw close to God. Say that with me. Draw close to God. Grow and mature as a Christian. Intercede for others. Any special burdens in our lives. Seeking more of God's wisdom and insight and guidance. 
the fullness of the Spirit to bring renewal and revival. Man, oh man. If you read the history of revivals, you see the people who were deeply involved prayed and fasted that God would pour his spirit in revival. A third thing to remember is this. Do my objectives tend to be self-centered or are they God-centered? Is my desire for personal blessing balanced by genuine concern for others? Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 2, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's not just about me. It's about all of us. And fourthly, am I determined above all else to minister to the Lord in this fast? If my fasting is not unto him, I have failed. Physical benefits notwithstanding, success in prayer, spiritual insights, ending with power, these must never replace God as the center of our fasting. We should more than anything want to grow closer to him, want a more intimate relationship with him, just like any other relationship that we say is important to us. Amen? So let me encourage you, beginning today, tonight, for 21 days, join me in seeking the Lord in prayer and fasting. And on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, we get donut holes. Lord, thank you for just your word and thank you, Lord, that you are awesome in every way. And Lord, as we consider this spiritual discipline of fasting for these next three weeks, Lord, I just pray that we would be people who more and more and more desire to fast unto you that the biggest and the most important desire of our heart is to draw close to you, know you more personally, more intimately, know your will. Lord, just lead us and guide us. As we come to your table, again, we're grateful for your provision and for the hope that we have because of Jesus' sacrifice. Holy Spirit, search our hearts, and if there's any hurtful way in us, show us that, Lord, we might confess those things, repent of them, and come to your table with clean hands. Amen? On behalf of the Hope Chapel family, I'd like to thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit www.hopechapel.org.